The U.S. government has mounted sustained attacks on asylum-seeking families through action by the Department of Homeland Security and the Office of Refugee Resettlement and through executive orders from the president. But physicians can play a role in supporting their patients who may be targets of these policies. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Bernard Dreyer, a professor of pediatrics at the New York University School of Medicine. Dr. Dreyer has written a perspective article about the history and consequences of hostility toward Latino immigrants in the United States. Dr. Dreyer, you describe in your perspective article how, for the first time in nearly a decade, children have been dying in the custody of the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Health and Human Services. So what's changed in terms of the number of children being held in detention and the conditions in which they're being held? There have been many unaccompanied minors and families with children uh, crossing the southern border seeking asylum, primarily coming from what's called the Northern Triangle of Central America, Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. That number has dramatically increased over the last year or two, primarily due to two factors, I believe, since actually we don't know exactly what the factors are. And those two factors are worsening violence in those countries. Most of these families have witnessed relatives being killed or young girls being raped or their young sons being recruited into gangs, etc., and feel that they have to flee. And that violence apparently has been getting worse. And in addition, I think there is this fear factor because our government has made it clear that they don't want these people to come here, that I think that paradoxically has made them want to come now before the doors completely close. There has been an increase, but in addition, there are a number of policies which have clogged the pipeline. So instead of releasing most of the families from the border processing centers, they're being kept there longer. And so you have a situation where large numbers of children are kept in a facility without medical care, and that's a recipe for them getting various infections, and when they can't get adequate medical care, leading to serious illness. Most of the children who've died have been in that situation where they've been in crowded facilities, not being able to access medical care and getting sick. Nobody recognizes it until the child is so sick that the child has died. In fact, you review the medical records of a child who died shortly after discharge from a family detention center. Yes. I was president of the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, and so I was asked by advocates to review who got the medical records of a little girl who was discharged from the Dilly Family Detention Center, which is a large family detention center in Texas and got on a plane, landed in New Jersey, and was so sick that the mother took the kid directly to an emergency room from the plane. And so the mother not only claimed, but when I reviewed the records, the mother had asked to see a doctor, a pediatrician, on numerous occasions, but was never sent to see a doctor. And on the day of discharge, when they're supposed to do a comprehensive evaluation before sending the kid off, it was clear that whoever wrote the note actually didn't even see the child that day. So perhaps had they seen the child, they would have been able to prevent this. Perhaps if they had sent the kid to a doctor earlier, they would have been able to prevent this. And the child was admitted to an ICU and died several weeks later. So this is, for me, unconscionable. And previously, this wouldn't have happened. 
because the families were being released rapidly from the Border Patrol detention centers, and they were also not congregating in such large numbers in which young children give each other things like the flu and other infections. And thirdly, I think the Border Patrol agents previously, even though they don't provide medical care, because I visited some of the Border Patrol centers in 2016, were likely to believe mothers and more likely to send them with their kids to an emergency room for medical care. And I think that the government's policies, and I don't want to paint every Border Patrol person as an evil person because they're not. Many of them are really feeling terrible about what's happening and try to do their best. But some of them especially had their hearts hardened by the policies of our government and have begun to view the immigrants as the enemy and therefore not been as responsive to getting these kids medical care. Why are children still being separated from their parents and other family members at the border, given that family separation officially ended more than a year ago? I think the reason this is being done is to discourage families from coming here. So there is a policy of the Trump administration to say that we need to discourage these people from coming here. How do we do that? One way is to separate families. They would have liked to continue their policy, which ended officially in the summer of 2018, but they were embarrassed by the notoriety that it caused and then said, therefore, they officially ended it. Now they use other reasons So they are not routinely separating families, but there are two major reasons that they separate families. One, any family that crosses can be considered committing a misdemeanor, and so they can view that parent as a criminal and take their child away because they're presumably protecting the child from the parent. Also, some of the kids are coming with other relatives like grandparents or aunts and uncles, and since they're not the parent and they don't have proof of being the parent, they can take those children away. So they've continued to take children away, not in the same large numbers, but as I think I point out in this perspectives, we estimate at least a thousand children have been taken away over the last year. And again, the reason is by being cruel to families and children to discourage people from coming here. However, honestly, that has obviously not worked. What do you think the effect of the Supreme Court's recent order that allows the Trump administration to bar many immigrants from seeking asylum. What are the effects going to be? Yeah, so I actually mentioned this in my perspective. I'm sad that a lot of the things I mentioned that were in process now are coming true, which is, I think, a sad commentary on our country. But the effect is, if they really are able to enforce it, and I'm not sure they can yet, it's easy for them to say they have to stay in Honduras or Mexico Well, I'm not even sure it's Mexico, but it's certainly in their own country. It would be really hard to enforce this. They're already preventing families from crossing the border from Mexico and waiting there for long periods. This would just make those waits even longer. And the effect of that will be, number one, they're living in squalid and dangerous conditions in Mexico. Certainly, if they're stuck in their own country where there's violence, it's even more dangerous for them. But if they're stuck in Mexico, what is happening to many families is that they're trying to cross borders, not at ports of entry, and sneak across the border, which has led to a number of people drowning in the Rio Grande, which is the primary non-port of entry that they can cross. 
Or if they're crossing in some significant desert area, they can get dehydrated and get very sick. You say in your article that the United States actually has a long history of anti-immigrant sentiment and action. So in what ways are current government actions similar to that history, and in what ways are things different today? I'll start with the different. The actions previously, although they may have involved children, were never focused on children as they are now, removing little babies from their parents. Often they were focused on many male immigrants because certainly with the previous anti-Mexican raids, although they did deport families, they probably deported many more single males. So this focus on punishing children and families specifically, which is, I think, not unique, but is very different about this particular period in our history. Finally, what can physicians do to support their immigrant patients and to help deal with this situation? So that depends upon where you practice. So I'll give you two scenarios. One is I practice in New York City. New York City is an immigrant-friendly city. And what that means is that children, whether they're documented or not, can get health insurance. And so one problem I don't have to deal with in New York City is figuring out how to get children Healthcare. There are only six states that provide that to undocumented children. So if I practiced in one of the majority of the United States, I would have to figure out how to find people to care and provide health care for these children and adolescents. Very critical for preventive care, such as immunizations, as well as chronic illness care for those who have chronic illnesses. So that plays out differently depending upon where you are. I think psychologically, all of these families and children are very traumatized and fearful. And so welcoming them into my practice or a physician's practice, telling them that you care about them and you're not worried about whether they're an immigrant or where they come from, you just want to help them, screening them for traumatic stress disorders and getting them assistance for those disorders and helping them adjust to being in a new country. One of the major areas of adjustment for many of these kids is education and being an advocate with the school system to make sure that they get the resources that they need is another important thing that I can do. Thank you, Dr. Dreyer.